Hey, this is Jim, pastor of Decided Church, and this is our podcast. Thanks for listening. We hope the sermon you're about to hear just blesses your heart and really encourages you. If you don't mind, subscribe. That way you'll get instant notifications every time a sermon is uploaded. And by all means, if you're feeling led to give, click on the giving link and there'll be more directions to follow. God bless. Enjoy the message. That was completely transcendent. That's the only word I know for it, but you took us right there. I mean, I could see it. I don't know about you, but I'm so glad to be here. Uh, Thank you all for coming. If it's your first time or your first time in a while, I would love to meet you. So don't rush out. Hang around. I will work my way back to you. I promise. I want to meet you, shake your hand, get to know you and your kids. So thanks for being here. Thank you, um, ushers, for setting up chairs in the back. That's awesome. Two Sundays in a row. Y'all are doing good. Uh, Last week, we had the highest non-holiday service we've ever had, 364 people that you guys packed in here over three services. So we're just getting started. I mean, that was the second Sunday in January. What are you guys doing? Um, We're going to need that building sooner than we think. Um, So anyway, thank you all for being here. Anybody love maps as much as I do? Okay. All right. Thank you. Kudos to you, Vic. Any other females love maps? No. Okay. Isha's got me back there. Let's go. Caitlin loves maps. Um, yeah, I see you, Stephanie. Um, I, I love maps. I love maps. I'm obsessed with maps. There's a map in my office of the streets I already know. But I, I love <laughs> It's just Irma, right? But I love it. I love to look at it. I love maps because I think, I think I'm obsessed with, whether we go on vacation or somewhere new, I'm obsessed with figuring out, okay, where am I in relation to everything around me? I got to know my place. I want to know where I fit in. Anybody else like that? Yeah, I, I've got to know. I've got I've to feel it out. I've got to know where I'm positioned in the grander scheme of things. Last April, my wife and I, Caitlin and Clay, the Cumberlanders, we had the opportunity to go on a trip to Arizona, do some hiking, and we were in the Grand Canyon, Sedona area. Anybody? Yes? Amen? God, please don't come back until I can return. Yeah. I'm being so serious. Like, I love King Jesus. Come save us. I'm all about it. But like, I want to do some stuff, you know, like God made a beautiful world and I'm not done. I haven't, I haven't been to Italy yet. You know, like I got to do the things too. So selfishly, I'm like, y'all can just hold off a minute. But um, one thing I noticed is that it's easy to get confused because in, in Arizona, all of the um, all of the rock formations and, and, and uh, columns, they all begin to look the same. They're all the same color. And you get, when you're down in it and you're hiking, you get turned around and confused. It all looks the same. But when you hike up, you get to a bigger elevation and you're able to look out. You're like, oh, okay, there's, there's the three sisters. There's Snoopy laying down. There's the teapot rock. There's, you know, and you begin to be able to see your place. You begin to see where you fit in. And ever wonder what God is up to? Any philosophical thinkers, big thinkers in the room today? Like, God, what are you, what are you doing? Where, like, what are you up to in the grand scheme of things? Like, I know what you're doing in my life. I might know what you're doing in my small group's life, but God, like, what are you doing? Like, what's the big plan? Where do I fit in, right? 
how do we zoom out to see our position in relation to what's going on around us, spiritually speaking? It's necessary time and again to place yourself. Because one thing I know, you cannot see the whole war when you're in the battle. You can't see your position, the enemy's position. When you're in the trenches, you can't really gain a perspective for it. So it's necessary time and again to elevate your position and you get the lay of the land, right? So how does the Christian do that? That's what I'm getting at. How does the church do that? In the Bible, we're given hints. We're given crumbs. That if you follow the trail, it leads to a new horizon. It leads to a vantage point. Catch this, an awakening. So the question is, what are those crumbs? What are the hints? Let's, let's hike that trail this morning and see where it leads. You with me? Anybody up for a, an adventure? We're going a little deeper today. I, I've been taking it easy on you guys. But today we're going a little, we're going to get knee deep in this stuff. We're going to be flying around scripture because here's what I know. This, when, uh, ugh, I, I'm just going to give it to you up front, okay? I'm so, okay, so here's our first big clue. The arrival and message of Jesus gives us a heavenly vantage point of what God is up to in the grander scheme. I'm going to give it to you this way. This is the second reason I told you at the beginning of the year, I'm going to give you three and a half reasons why the church has got to wake up and it's got to rise up. Amen? Today's the one and a half. This is the, the weird one with the appendage. That's, that's this Sunday, okay? This is the 1.5 reasons why the church must wake up and rise up is because the kingdom age, you ever heard of that? The kingdom age, the kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven. Have you heard of that before in your Bible? Yeah, well, you're living in it. It's now. That we're, we're doing the thing now. The kingdom of God, the, the kingdom age is not a future state. It is not later. It's now. We're here. We're living in it. And that matters. I want to show you why it matters, the importance of it, and why it matters in a message entitled, In the Grand Scheme. In the Grand Scheme. So, Number one, if you're taking notes, the first question we have to ask ourselves is, what is the kingdom age? There's a lot of weird stuff out there. It's a lot of weird teaching, bad teaching on this subject. And I want to break it down simply for you. The kingdom age is not rocket science. Just let me give it to you this way in a phrase. The kingdom of God is any period of time where King Jesus is actively and intentionally ruling and reigning in the hearts of men. Jesus ruling and reigning in the hearts of men. That's the kingdom. It's not weird. It's not crazy. It's not complicated. King Jesus ruling and reigning in the hearts of men. That's the kingdom. Now you might say, well, isn't Jesus always ruling and reigning? So is it always the kingdom? I understand your point, and, and, and yes, Jesus is always ruling and reigning. He's always going to accomplish his purpose. But the scripture tells us about different seasons where God will take his hand off and let humans go on cruise control and, and, and let us experience the consequences of our choices. Let me give you an example. This is through the Bible, the days of Noah. There was a time where God took his hand off. 
How about the Tower of Babel? The days of Job where God gave Satan permissions. Okay, a few others. How about the Dark Ages between Malachi and Matthew? There was a whole hundreds of years where God was silent. Not absent, but silent. Romans 1. In Romans 1, it specifically, God literally says, all right, <laughs> y'all want it that way? I'm taking my hands off. Literally, the language says that God took his hands off. And then we all know Revelation. We all know the periods of time in Revelation where uh, in, in 20, it says that Satan is loosed from the pit to wreak havoc on the world for a season. God takes his hand off. So, but the kingdom, that's any season where King Jesus is actively and intentionally ruling in the hearts of men. It does not mean his physical presence always, but his spirit is working powerfully among men. So Jesus bodily um, brought the kingdom, but, but we're also experiencing the kingdom now. I'll get to that in a little bit. So it has many names in scripture. It's called the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. How about this? Have you heard this? The year of the Lord's favor. That's a phrase that means the kingdom age. So that's the kingdom. The kingdom is, is King Jesus' rule and reign in the hearts of men. Secondly, how do we know that the kingdom is here now? How do we know that we're living in it right now? So I want to show you this. We're going to be flying around scripture today. Get your thumbs ready. If you want to go on cruise control, it'll be up here on the screens for you. But I would encourage you to write these passages down because we're going to be flying today. I don't have time to, to park it and do a deep study with you, okay? So write these passages down. How do we know the kingdom is here now? Let's begin with Mark. In Mark's gospel, in chapter 1, verse 14 and 15, the reason why we know that is because Jesus commenced it. He came, he was born, and at a period of time, he says, all right, I'm beginning my public ministry, Nicole. I'm going to Galilee, and I'm preaching the kingdom of God. So let's read about it. Now, after John was arrested, that's John the Baptist, Jesus came into Galilee. See, up until now, he had been an apprentice for his stepdad in the wood shop, you understand. Joseph was a craftsman by trade. So Jesus had a very normal upbringing working with his stepdad, but now it says he's, he's going into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying what? What's, what's his message? What's his sermon about? The time is fulfilled. I want you to underline that word in your Bible. The time is not later. The time is not in the apocalypse. The time is not after Mageddon. Jesus says the time is fulfilled. Now, and the kingdom of God is at hand or has come near. Repent and believe in the gospel. Jesus commenced it. The reason why we know we're living in the kingdom is because Jesus brought it with him and he said, it's go time. I'm showing up. I'm here. My public ministry has begun. Let's go to Luke 16, 16. Just a little backup here. Luke says it different way. And if there's any confusion about it, this ought to clear it up. Jesus says this, the law and the prophets were until John. Which John? John the Baptist, the one that just got arrested and beheaded. So there was something significant about John's arrest and uh, beheading. I don't know all the answers to that. I've studied it a lot and my tires aren't tracking yet. I'm just slipping in the mud. But there was something 
significant about John the Baptist, the forerunner of Jesus, when he was beheaded, Jesus, that was like God's green light to Jesus. He says, go. Jesus begins his public ministry, and he says this, Law and the prophets, that's until John. Since then, since John's death, then the good news of the kingdom of God is preached, and everyone forces his way into it. That's a weird phrase at the end. Basically, it means that Jesus Christ was the stumbling block. He was the cornerstone of people. They were offended. It, the, the gospel that he brought, this, this kingdom message, it wasn't always easy to hear. It wasn't always easy to accept. And so people stumbled their way into this kingdom. They were offended into the kingdom because they had to deal with the person of Jesus. That's what the writer is saying here. So it's commenced. Jesus commenced it. And, and the kingdom means good news or gospel. We see that. It, and we also see in several of these passages that it comes with great power. And then we also see the proper response to this kingdom is repentance. The gospel, the good news, along with great power, and, and the proper response is repentance. To me, that sounds a lot like the Great Commission, doesn't it? It's almost like the Great Commission was Jesus saying, all right, I'm handing it off to you now. You, you take the reins and go. The Great Commission is the kingdom ages. It's the kingdom. It's the same sermon that Jesus was preaching only from a different mouth. Now it's our turn. So let's go to Matthew 28. I want you to write down the cross reference of Mark 16. We're not able to go there. Mark 16, write that down. But we are going to go to Matthew 28 because um, Jesus commenced the kingdom. But number two, the resurrection and the great commission confirm the kingdom. And here's what I mean. And Jesus came and said to them, these are his disciples. He is risen. He's about to go. He says, all what? Authority. Authority. That's a kingdom word. I want you to save it. And we're going to come back to it. All authority in heaven and on earth. Everybody say, and on earth. This is not just a future celestial utopia, okay? He's saying, I've given you authority on earth. Hold that thought. Has been given to me. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the what? Now, why wouldn't Jesus say until the end of time? Because he was signifying this is the kingdom age. I've given you authority and power to preach this gospel in this kingdom age. It's a season because there's coming a time which we're going to learn about. The kingdom age is over. God creates the whole thing over. New heaven, new earth, new rules, new ball game. But for now, Jesus is saying, I brought the kingdom. The great commission and the resurrection confirms the kingdom. And guess what? The church completes the kingdom. Look at this stuff, man. Oh, by the way, I'm going to read you. Ah, so many good things. So many good things. Mark 9, 1. Write that down, but I want to show you this really quick. And he said to them, truly, I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it's come with power. I just included that verse for you to write down and study because if the kingdom age as we know it is some future thing, then why would Jesus say, some of y'all are still going to be here when that thing settles in with power. 
Jesus is saying something significant with his public ministry. He's saying, I started this thing. It's here. The time is fulfilled. It's not later. I have come near. I have drawn near to you. The kingdom age is now. And some of you guys are going to be able to experience the full power of it before you even die. So the church completes it. What was Jesus talking about with that? Let's, well, let's go back to Matthew 16. We've been here before, but this is the story about Peter, the rock, the church. You know it, but let's draw our attention to it once again. And I'll tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you what? The keys of the kingdom. He's given us... The, now, obviously, he didn't have physical jingling keys to hand over to Peter. This, this is not a physical key. This is not some weird, skewed teaching. So I just want to be clear that the keys of the kingdom... Write this down. It means nothing more, nothing less than the authority of Jesus. The keys of the kingdom mean nothing more and nothing less than the authority of Jesus. So are you part of the church that Jesus was talking to Peter about? Yes or no? Are you part of that church? I am. I'm part of that church that Jesus founded using Peter. Therefore, if he says, Peter, I've given you the authority of Jesus the keys of the kingdom, that means that if I'm sitting in here on January 15th in Irmo, those keys are still in my pocket. I still have that authority. That's my authority, Jesus's authority that I possess as a member of the church. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. The church completes the kingdom. I want you to write down Luke 10, 17 through 20. We don't have time to go there. But basically, he, he's got Peter, he's got the disciples. And I love this story um, because th this is so much power. He's, he's basically given them a race car. He's given them the keys to a race car. And they have no business driving this thing. They, they have absolutely no training. So what you find in Luke chapter 10, verse 17 through 20, is he sends them on a test drive. He takes 70 of his disciples. He's like, I've equipped you with super massive power. You have no idea how to wield or drive, and I'm just cutting you loose. Go take it for a test drive. And they come back from this trip. Their hair blows back. I mean, they're just like, Jesus, you have, dude, like, whoa, we cast out demons. We like, we handled snakes. We, and, and Jesus is like, that's cool. It's a lot of power. I want you to celebrate the fact that your name's in the book probably a little bit more than you celebrate the power, but fine, whatever. It's good. So he sends them on a test drive for us to see a little taste of what it's like to operate in the authority of Jesus. That's how we know the kingdom is here now. Jesus brought it. The Great Commission confirms it. The church completes it. Now, here's the one and a half. Here's the half part of the one. What does the kingdom mean for Satan? What does the fact that Jesus is present on earth, his authority is on earth, what does that mean for the old devil? And this is something you don't have to agree with me on, okay? There's no official statement from Decided Church about this point. So if I meet you in heaven and you're like, nah, bro, you were totally wrong, I'll, I'll still be friends with you, okay? But this is so important. I want you to grasp this point. It's, it's the most important point of the message because it's going to change the way you live. Look at this. What does the kingdom mean for Satan? Let's take it right from the mouth of Jesus. What does the kingdom age mean for the devil? I'm going to give you some background to this Matthew 12 passage we're going to. 
Jesus has just cast out a demon from a man. The Pharisees are lurking in the corner. They're ready to pounce. And they say, ha, gotcha. You cast out that demon with Satan's power. We're going we're gonna, to uh, arrest you and we're going to betray you because you're using the power of Satan to cast out demons. They were looking for anything to nail this guy. So we pick up the stories, but when the, when the Pharisees heard it, they said, it is only by Beelzebub, that was the Jewish word for the devil, the prince of demons, that this man cast out demons. Knowing their thoughts, he said to them, every kingdom, familiar word, divided against itself is laid waste, and no city or house divided against itself will stand. Verse 26. And if Satan cast out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons? Hey, you guys are doing it too. If I'm using Satan's power, we surely don't share the same power. So who you got? He's basically showing them their logic is so faulty. Why, why, would, why would God be using Satan's power to cast out Satan? Does that make any sense? He's like, you guys didn't even think this through before you came at me like this. Like, this is the worst, the worst argument of all time. Therefore, they will be your judges. Verse 28, but if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. And we know by what power he was casting out demons. It was by the power of God. He was fully God, fully man. Therefore, it says the kingdom of God is here. Now, what does that mean for the devil? Or how can someone enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man? Then, indeed, he may plunder his house. You did not hear this in Sunday school, and I'm sorry. But what Jesus is saying is if I'm here, he ain't. There is no way I came to this playground to take back all my stuff if I didn't rope up, tape up, and cast out the strong man. Jesus is saying the strong man, his, this earth is his playground. We understand that he fell from heaven. Lucifer was given earth to rule and rape, be the prince of darkness. This is his playground. And Jesus is saying, there is no way I would have showed up here to steal all back my stuff if I left the strong man in the house. Any of y'all doing a, doing a raid tonight and, and you're not gonna, you're not gonna um, check and make sure that the man of the house and his guns aren't somewhere else at the time? Uh, Jesus is saying, Satan is bound and cast out in this kingdom age. Did you hear that? How does that affect what we're doing here this morning? Jesus is saying the devil is not here. He is not present. I bound the strong man. If this is the kingdom and I'm doing this in the kingdom of God, Satan and his kingdom can't be here. They cannot coexist. You got questions. Let's go to another gospel. John 12 verses 27 through 32. The strong man is bound. The strong man is bound. That's referring to Satan. Let's go to another gospel. This is Jesus again. He's praying to the Father. He knows his death is upcoming. 
and this is what he says. He's sharing an intimate moment with God the Father, and he's like, now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said an angel has spoken to him. They're trying to come up with all kinds of reasons. Jesus says, the voice that has come to is for your sake, not mine. Now catch the next verse. Now is the judgment of this world. Later, during the tribulation, later during some future millennium, no, Jesus says, now is the judgment of this world. Read the next phrase with me to yourself. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. No matter what you believe about where Satan is presently, because we can disagree on that. I'm not going to fight you over that. But no matter where you believe he is at the moment, he's not omnipresent. Check. Check that box in your mind. We, we, we equate him on the same level with God all the time, and it's so bizarre. He, Satan cannot be more than one place at one time, so I doubt he's messing with you, sister. Like I'm, I doubt he's trying to turn your life sideways, brother. Satan can only be one place at one time. And no matter where you believe he is, the kingdom age means that he has been, at least at the bare minimum, he has been hampered. He has been limited. He has been restricted from his power. I personally believe he is in hell right now because all of this stuff Jesus says lines up perfectly with Revelation 20 verses 1 through 3. It says, the angel came down, searched for the devil, locked him up in a pit for darkness. And the Bible says, for a thousand years, he stays down there. We already know a thousand years is as a, and a day is as a thousand years. So it's an age. The Bible language would mean a season, an age. Satan is bound. Satan is restricted. The strong man ain't here at the moment. That ought to give you a little bit of confidence. That ought to give you a little boost in your step this morning because what Jesus is saying is literally nothing can stop you. Nothing ought to affect your boldness. Nothing ought to affect the way you approach this world, approach the lost and dying, and take back for the kingdom what is rightfully ours. What does the kingdom mean for Satan? It means that he is bound, he has been cast out. Could he be in hell? He could. That's what I believe. Look at John 1430. You can cross-reference this. We're just going to fly through it really quick. It's, this is Jesus talking right before he's, he's, he's trying to prep his disciples. He's saying, guys, I'm out but it's okay, I'm gonna send somebody else. And this is what he says. I will no longer talk much with you for the ruler of this world is coming. Now, why would Jesus say that if Satan was already present on earth? Why would Jesus be preparing them, warning them 
that Satan was coming if the ruler of this world was already here. He's saying, ah, oil and water don't mix. And if it's the kingdom age, Satan's gone. There is no way I'm coming to this playground if the bully on the playground is here. I'm going to take care of the bully first and then we're going to ride. What does the kingdom mean for Satan? No matter where you believe Satan is presently, he's not omnipresent. He is no match for your power. He is no match for your power. He is no match for the authority that you hold. But what does the kingdom mean for you? We know what the kingdom is. We know the kingdom is now. We know what the kingdom means for Satan. But what does it mean for you, Christian? What does the kingdom mean for you, warrior? I hope that this will shake you up a little bit, but we got to go through a couple more verses. You with me? Are we tracking? Uh, My wife says, I say, you know what I mean? A lot without really giving context. So you might hear that slip out. You know what I mean? So if you don't know what I mean, you got to flag me down and be like, you're going way too fast. I got to catch up. Like, I don't know what you mean. So you know what I mean? So what does the kingdom mean for me? Let's go to Luke chapter 12, verse 32. This is, this is where it all starts. You got to get this foundation. This is Luke 12, 32. Write it down. Jesus is speaking to his children and he says, fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. I need you to know that. When's the last time you sat back and just basked in the, in that the father wants what's good for you? The father wants what's going to bring you joy. The father wants what's going to make you fulfilled and satisfied. Jesus is saying it is the father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. So I need you to know this believer, the kingdom age is a gift from God the Father to you, his church. The kingdom is a gift from God the Father to you, his church. And if the kingdom is, we already defined the kingdom, if the kingdom is his rule and reign in the hearts of men, how could that be more fulfilled than the coming of the Holy Spirit? Let me say that again. If the kingdom is King Jesus' rule and reign in the hearts of men, then how could that be more fulfilled than in the coming of the Holy Spirit? So we have to talk about the Holy Spirit if we're going to talk about the kingdom. They go together. So the Holy Spirit, remember the the keys of the kingdom? Remember that talk that Jesus had with Peter? He's like, I'm going to give you the keys of the kingdom. That those keys represented the authority of Jesus. The authority of Jesus. Well, what do we have living inside of us? We have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. If you're a believer, if you have accepted what Christ has done on the cross on your behalf, and you've come to him in faith, the Bible says you get the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. That means a lot of wonderful things, one of which is the authority of Jesus in your life. Let's talk about that. John 16, 13 through 15. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, Jesus, for he will take what is mine and he'll declare it to you. He will take the authority of me and he will deposit it in you. He will take all the authority of what comes with who God is and he will indwell you. 
Verse 15, all that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. The Holy Spirit in your life should mean three things. And it means a lot, but I'm going to narrow it down to three for you, for your notes. But number one, we should experience greater works. One of the signs that we have the authority of Jesus in our lives is that what all, the, all the miracles and signs and wonders that Jesus did while he was here and present, he says, when the spirit comes, you're going to put that stuff to shame. You're going to be doing greater works than I. Look at it right here in uh, John 14, 12 through 14. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do because I'm going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this will I do. And the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. The authority of Jesus lives in you in the person of the Holy Spirit. And one sign that he indwells you is that we as the church, collectively as a body, should be experiencing greater miracles than what we read about in the Gospels. How you doing? Number two, it also ought to mean this. When it comes to evangelizing and exposing, by the way, they go together because the gospel means light and light exposes darkness. So when it comes to evangelizing and exposing, we ought to be operating with mind-blowing boldness. Catch this, 1 Corinthians 15, 24 through 26. It's probably my favorite verse that we're going to look at today, but I need you to know this. Paul understood it, and Paul understood, hey, this is so good. God's sending me to the Gentiles so they can be grafted in with the Jews, to, and then we'll be really rip-roaring and ready to go. Verse 24, 1 Corinthians 15. This is the resurrection chapter. You know it. Then comes the end. When he, speaking of Jesus, delivers the what? To the kingdom, to God. The Father, after destroying every rule and every authority and power, verse 25, for he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Do you know what you just read, Christian? We already covered the fact that God gave you and I the kingdom as a gift. He gave it to us. This, this whole kingdom age, is, it's a gift to you and I. And he's also saying here that when the end comes, the end is not now, the end is coming. There's going to come a day where Jesus scoops up this kingdom and everything that it means and the whole body and bride of Christ. And he's going to deliver it. He's going to give it back to God the Father, but only after destroying every rule and every authority and every power for he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. What I'm trying to tell you, Christian, is that this thing, this room, this energy, this vibe, this power, it's not stopping until we win. The kingdom is not delivered to God the Father until he has put every ruler, authority, and power under his feet. How you doing? This church age, this kingdom age, Jesus says, I've given it to you as a gift guess what? The bully on the playground is not home. We ought to be taking back all of our stuff. We, and by stuff, I mean people. We ought to be reclaiming lives and sharing the gospel. And we go to work and get around the water cooler in the break room like, oh, I don't know if they're going to like what I have to say. Who cares? Eventually, you know what's going to happen? They will bow the knee either today or then. I'd much rather help them do it now. 
we ought to be going with mind-blowing boldness. There is literally nothing that can stop us. Satan is bound. He has been cast out of this world. And the kingdom will not stop. This age will not end until Jesus is able to deliver it back to the Father and say, here's my bride. Every corner of the earth knows your name. Every enemy has been destroyed. Every stronghold has been brought down. Every power has been tread upon. Number three, what should the Holy Spirit, what should this kingdom age mean for us? It means that we're equipped with out-of-this-world unlimited resources. Here's what I mean. 2 Corinthians 10.4 says it this way. 2 Corinthians 10.4, For the weapons of our warfare, by the way, this is a war, are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. You've got weapons, Christian, and that power is too much for you to handle. It's just like the 70 that Jesus sent out, and they're like, whoa. And, And it was a little bit of spiritual whiplash when they got back. They're like, we could do all kinds of things. And what I'm trying to tell you is that you've been gifted those same weapons of warfare, and they are so advanced. The technology is so literally out of this world that they're not physical weapons, they're spiritual weapons. Guess what, what, guess what your weapons can do? Take down ideas, take down strongholds. They can remove powers. Read Ephesians 6. Paul gives you a list of your weapons. He tells you how to armor up. And he tells you, hey, we're not wrestling against flesh and blood here. No, no, this technology is far more developed than just attacking people. Did you hear me, church? Our weapons are far more advanced than just attacking people. We're attacking spiritual rulers and authorities and high places. Come on. That sounds a little bit like plunder to me. That sounds a little bit like, all right, let's dip my robes in blood and let's make havoc of this world. The kingdom, what should it mean for you? It should mean, listen, you, we ought to be experiencing greater works. That, that ought to build your faith. Let's, let's believe for more. Let's do more. Number two, your evangelizing and exposing should be equipped with mind-blowing. Bo- There's literally nothing that can stop you. And then we are also equipped with out-of-this-world unlimited resources. I'm told by the gaming community that there's a thing called God Mode where you can literally hack the video game and you can get all the guns, all the ammunitions, and you can also never die. Is that true? What I'm trying to tell you, I don't know either, Billy. What? I don't know this stuff. But I do know in video games, typically you have like this battery pack that measures how much life you have. And and I know like, I know enough to know that if you die, you like pop back up in the same spot, right? And you got another life. What I'm trying to tell you is that when it comes to your resources and this kingdom age, you have God mode on. There is unlimited weapons, there is unlimited ammunition, and you cannot die. You cannot be tread under. This power is too much, and the bully on the playground is gone. Satan has been removed, and and this kingdom age has been a gift from God. And I look at us, and I look at the church, and I'm like, what are we doing? How come nobody's talking about this? How come nobody's sharing this message? Why have we wasted so much time living in fear and regret and apprehension? I don't know if they're going to like me, and I don't know if they're going to like my message. I don't know if the gospel is going to rub them the wrong way. Mind-blowing. And that doesn't mean we're unkind. No, in fact, one of those spiritual weapons of warfare is radical hospitality. 
one of those weapons of warfare that destroys opinions and lofty arguments against God is crazy love, radical hospitality, feasting, meal sharing in the enemy's face. These are all the ways that we plunder. These are all the ways that we take back. Today we hiked to new elevation using a trail of crumbs and hints spoken by Jesus to a vantage point where we can really begin to see how things stack up. In the day-to-day, it's easy to lose your place. It's easy to get distracted, not, not realize where you fit in or what God is up to, but in the grand scheme of things, what you do, how you live this life, it matters. If the kingdom is here now, then Satan is bound or at least limited. And if Satan is limited and I'm strapped up with power and unlimited resources, then there's nothing that can stop me. And if there's nothing that can stop me, and this is what I meant to do, then every little thing that comes my way, I can give no more attention to than a pesky little gnat. In the grand scheme, you cannot be stopped, warrior. You might have to climb to a higher elevation every now and then to get your bearings and find your place, but the enemy is losing and you have already won. And part of that power play is the church waking up and rising up. It is past time. Ephesians says we got to redeem the time. We're losing time for the church to wake up, rise up, and conquer what I need you to know, church, is that this is real. It's real. It's so real. It's, it's more real. What, what we talked about today is more real than the reality you face. And I know you've got stuff going on. I'm not making light of your trials and testings and tribulations. But what I'm saying is, if this is the kingdom and Satan is bound, then your trials and your tribulations and your tests you can get a little higher perspective on them. You can gain a little ground on them because you know it's nothing. It can be nothing more than the distraction or a demon that was sent by Satan from hell. And with that power, you can put him in his place. You can, you can, you can have clarity of mind. You can have clarity of focus and you can go. We gotta go. That's why Jesus says, Walk in the light while you have the light because darkness is coming. Guess what? This ain't gonna last forever. Jesus says, the prince of this world is coming. It's gonna get dark again. And, and, and we look at, oh, I gotta be done. It's 42 minutes. <laughs> this is fun. This is fun stuff. So, hey, let's set the world on fire. What is stopping us? Not Satan. He's gone. So let's go. Let's wake up. Let's rise up. Let's pray. Jesus, I pray that you have shaken us a little bit this morning. That you have reinvigorated and re-energized our faith. And if everybody in this room would just stand, we're going to stand to our feet. This is how we're going to do the invitation today because I think everybody was challenged at least a little bit. I know I was. We're all convicted. We're all, we're all in this invitation together. As you stand to your feet, 
Have a moment with God. Remember that message of the kingdom. Remember what Jesus, remember his call. Every time he preached about the kingdom, the proper response was always, repent, repent. And I want you to hear me with every head bowed and every eye closed. Repentance is not a bad word. Repentance is a beautiful word. It's just like a dad saying, hey, get back over here, boy. That's not where you belong. Get back over here. Repentance is God saying, come back home. Come back to the truth. Come back to reality. Wake up. Know who you are. Know your place. Know where you stand in the grand scheme of things. I've told you how things stack up. You're a winner. The victory is won. Jesus has gone before us. He is the great defender and, and he has delivered the enemy. He, he has taken off the head of the enemy and delivered us victory. Church, we got to wake up to that. We got to rise up as warriors. We got to understand that this is our time. This is the kingdom age. We are the ones running things. The church is the one winning. The church is the one in control. And we are here to plunder. While the bad guy's away, we're going to take back what's ours. Jesus, help us be bold. Help us experience greater works. And help us to tap into our resources. As we wield this crazy power, we have no business experiencing this side of heaven. Give us a taste. Help us to tap into the resources and the power that's really at our disposal this week. Help us to experience what it's like to tread down the enemy. Help us to view all these testings and trials and little tribulations as they are. Nothing more than just a pesky little gnat. Help us to go forth in confidence and boldness and authority. We need your help to do that, Jesus. It's in your name that we pray.